This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. My name's Clay Wirestone. In today's show, we go behind the scenes with the Bernie Sanders campaign, and we take a look as candidates file to run in next year's presidential primary. So, for today's podcast, we are joined as always, or virtually always, by the Monitor's politics editor, John Van Fleet. Hi, John. This is Casey Kasem. (laughs) Okay, and by, we'll just skip right on over that, and by Monitor (laughs) reporter, Ella Nilsson. Hi, Ella. Hey, Clay. So we'll start today with um, just the story that Ella was reporting, which is you were over at the Secretary of State's office where Bernie Sanders showed up to file for the for the primary tell us about the scene it was very packed um and i actually we were just chatting about this i was not there yesterday for when donald trump filed but there were a lot of uh, bernie supporters in the hallways i think it was kind of a coordinated campaign effort to get people uh, this huge line of people down the hallway cheering for bernie so you could hear the chance of bernie um before he walked in and uh, Bernie was, was uh, if there is a cliffhanger in the First in the Nation primary, Bernie was it uh, today. His filing was it. Um, it didn't turn out to be that dramatic. But there was a question about whether or not he could successfully file uh, to run as a Democrat in the New Hampshire primary because he is technically an independent senator. Mm-hmm. Um, so there had been some speculation that that might be challenged or that Bill Gardner would not accept his filing, but, uh, there was no drama today. Uh, Bill Gardner said that, that he, he had been kind of cagey about his response in, uh, previous weeks, you know, not really coming out and saying whether he would or would not accept Sanders filing, but, um, he did today without, um, you know, Certainly, certainly no drama there. Um, Did he give any explanation as to why he accepted it? He just said, I mean, yeah, we, we, a a group of local reporters hung back to ask him why. And he said, you know, he did what everybody else did. I don't really follow what's going on in Vermont. He fulfilled my requirements. I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, and he did say, if so, it is possible now that somebody make a challenge to, if somebody does not think that Bernie Sanders is eligible to run as a Democrat in the New Hampshire primary, they can still make a challenge. And um, the New Hampshire Election Commission, if there is a challenge made, will uh, hear that on November 24th and decide whether or not Sanders can run. But there's no evidence that such a challenge has actually been made. No, there's no evidence to that. And uh, the the state's Democratic Party chairman, Ray Buckley, and Senator's lawyer, Andrew Valinsky, were on uh, were were right with him today as he filed. Um, and Buckley has come out in in support of Sanders. Um, you know, just his his filing as a Democrat, um, and said that that the party, you know, the state party, will back him up on that if necessary. 
So basically, if you say you're a Democrat, that's good enough for Bill Gardner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Um, do you have any indication of who might be showing up at the Secretary of State's office next to make the kind of that grand I, grand entrance? I think that John Kasich is up tomorrow. I don't know if anybody else is is coming. I think I think he might be the only one. Um, but okay. yes, we had today was a busy day. There was uh, Marco Rubio in the morning, and then Carly Fiorina, and then Bernie Sanders. Yesterday it was Donald Trump and Martin O'Malley. So. It's been a parade. That's right. And how, how much longer are the applications or the sign-ups, I guess, sign-ups? It's like it's Little League. How much, right. how much longer are, are these kind of, is this going to be going on for? I think it's going on for, I actually don't know the exact date. Do you know, John? Uh, I think it's two weeks. Okay. okay. So I know Hillary Clinton is coming in, I think, on Monday. And I'm sure that will be a, a fairly busy one as well. But I'm sh there will be a parade coming through. Yeah, day day after day. This is this yeah. is really kind of the most. I mean, I don't want to say it's the most exciting time of the primary because really the most exciting time, you know, is is pretty much those last couple of weeks when it descends into out and out chaos right. across the state. But. This this is really when you get those iconic images of the, the the candidates going through the hallway, all of their supporters mm -hmm. around them, you know, handing over their check, signing Absolutely. their name. Uh, Bill Gardner there as he has been for the last approximately eight hundred years. Right, right. <laughs> for some behind the scenes stuff today, I tweeted this out, but I especially liked uh, the AP's photographer Jim Cole had uh, rigged this camera up on a bookshelf so that he could get this great panoramic view um, via a remote-controlled camera. <laughs> so he was he was getting a lot of work done today. Exactly. So, oh, John. Tomorrow, Chris Christie will also be filing. Okay. Um, Monday, in addition to Hillary, there will be Jim Gilmore. Ah. Ooh. He's coming in right before Hillary. So... Actually, uh, Ray Duckler is planning to do a column on Mr. Mr. Gilmore. Is Monday that going to be is that going to be the day in the life, or is are we doing a day in the life of Jim Gilmore? We were going to, yes, of course, but no, <laughs> but no, Monday will not be the day in the life. This this could be our only shot at it, actually. But it, it Ray thought it interesting this this juxtaposition where Jim Gilmore shows up to file and there's and going then, to be rows and rows and rows of people none of whom are waiting for him right and jim gilmore being kind of perhaps the the least famous or least well known of kind of the mainstream republican candidates there's also mark everson but i think he dropped out today but i'm not totally sure um but i mean but of course he was also a former governor of virginia so that tells you something about how many people are running right and kind of what the cutoff point is. But staying with uh, Bernie Sanders here for a second, Ella, so also in today's monitor, we're taping this on Thursday, um, there is a day on the trail feature with a bunch of photo photos from our own Elizabeth Franz mm -hmm. and a story by you um, talking about Bernie Sanders. So, you know, talk a little bit about the, the, the story. Yeah, first. yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we, we followed his campaign around on a Friday last week. And um, I guess the story that sort of came out of it was it was a little bit of an overview of everything. I had a, a pretty um, good interview with him. His campaign uh, made time for me to 
speak to him for about a half hour, which was, uh, you know, it was great, really happy to have the opportunity to do that. Um, and, you know, it went, it went pretty well. I asked him a, a lot of questions about um, some of the things that influenced his political beliefs and his political career, including the civil rights movement, which he pretty actively participated in as a uh, college-aged young man. Um, so that, that was sort of one piece of it. Uh, so the story sort of focused on, you know, pieces from my interview with him, um, and also focused a little bit on, um, Bernie's sort of aversion to retail politics. Um, and, you know, maybe I shouldn't say aversion so much as, you know, he just is not, you know, on the campaign trail, you don't see him often. Um, he will shake hands, but he doesn't really take time to go up to people and ask them, you know, or, you know, say, hi, I'm Bernie Sanders. I'm running for president, you know, asking for people's votes. Um, and in, really, in other words, he's not like the the, the stereotypical, right. you know, image from 92 of someone like Bill Clinton who right. would, you know, essentially dive into the crowd and exactly. feed off of the energy of all of his supporters. Exactly. That, that is not Bernie Sanders. No, and, but Bernie has, I mean, he generates this huge energy in a completely different way. Um, and that is sort of from behind the podium with all of his ideas and his stump speech about in, income inequality. You know, you certainly can't say that he has a lack of enthusiasm. People love him and people go crazy over him. But when it comes to that sort of one-on-one, -on -one, he's not really big on that. Actually, in the, uh, the press conference that he held today after he filed, Kathleen Ronane from the AP uh, asked him that question about, because not only did we write about that, the New York Times also wrote about it, NHPR did a story about it, this sort of, you know, Bernie, Bernie's aversion to retail politics. And so um, Kathleen asked him that question, and, you know, he kind of, he kind of said, oh, don't, don't believe anything, everything you read in the New York Times, but then kind of said, you know, well, the, you know, you're, you're kind of right. You know, I don't really have, I don't know if he said I don't have time for this stuff, but he said, you know, I'm, I'm sort of connecting with people in a different way, which I think is absolutely true. Um, but it's just interesting to see the, the different styles of campaigning. Well, and he's also, I mean, I think this was something that the, the, the piece in the Times that highlighted this um, uh, kind of pointed out, which is that he's also dealing with a shift in his campaign from holding these mega rallies in deep blue states to doing the kind of more retail politics, the smaller, smaller gatherings in, uh, you know, in just, in, in, you know, nursing homes and whatnot in, in New yeah. Hampshire. And that's a, that's a, that's a shift. It is a shift, and it is going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, obviously New Hampshire especially sort of kind of this is held up as the New Hampshire standard and the First Nation standard of, of retail politics. That's something that New Hampshire voters really uh, value. And it was interesting to see him, um, you know, on the campaign trail. He, I, this was sort of right up at the top of my story, he, you know, after he finished speaking at this behind, from behind the, the lectern at this um, senior center in Manchester, his aide kind of directed him over to um, the corner where there are these senior citizens that hadn't gathered in the audience. They were still kind of playing cards in the background. And so he was directed over to go shake hands with people and to go greet people. He just kind of stopped halfway there and said, kind of raised his hand in greeting and said, could you guys hear me over there? And everybody kind of nodded and said yes. And he was like, okay, great. And just kind of, you know, walked out. There was no, there was no shaking hands. And again, um, in Nashua at a field office, 
he, uh, you know, he finished speaking about, took about 10 minutes to speak to volunteers. He had gone in and, and shaken some hands in a room, again, kind of directed by aides to go into this one room to meet people and, and shake hands. But he didn't really stick around after his speech was done. He just kind of immediately turned around and walked to the car. So there was no, there was no dilly-dallying. It was one, one spot to the next. Mm-hmm. And uh, although it's it's looking like at least at least for now, according to the Real Clear Politics poll of polls, uh, he is still leading overall in New Hampshire. Although it's it's a much narrower lead now. It looks like he's leading Hillary Clinton by about forty-one to forty. Yeah, absolutely. Here in New Hampshire, so. Clearly, things are only going to get a little more intense. Yeah, and there side. has there has been yesterday. There was this this widely distributed Wall Street Journal article where he kind of backtracked a little bit um, on his you know this this famous line that he had in the debate. You know, we're sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails to to Clinton. He kind of I mean it wasn't that he backtracked, but he said you know he does think that the the FBI investigation is legitimate and should continue. So it was kind of a less Warm and fuzzy, Bernie. Who's <laughs> <laughs> not always the warmest warm and fuzziest fuzzy. <laughs> to begin with. Um, when Donald Trump filed for his candidacy yesterday, the first Republican, major Republican candidate to do so, in his press conference afterwards, he took aim at Bernie Sanders and criticized him on that very issue and said that his comments about Hillary's emails were all sick and tired of hearing about your emails. He handed the election to Hillary Clinton and basically said that Sanders is a non-factor going forward. Right. And this is going to be, I think, a tough thing for Bernie Sanders, which he and his campaign have been saying since day one. We're not going to do personal attack ads. You know, we're not going to attack her on her character. But as as the election starts getting more real and certainly he has shown himself to be a competitive candidate, um, you know, it remains to be seen if that is going to hold up. I mean, the fact is, if you actually make it to a high elected office like the U.S. Senate, you're a competitive person. Like there's that element in your personality as, as low key or as claiming to not be that way as, as you may much as much as you may say it. You know, there's that competitive spirit there, and I think it, it takes a would take a you know basically a robot to not get caught up in the you know kind of some back and forth as the the primary approaches. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just it just happens happens to the most rigid campaigns. They you know you 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 get drawn into it a little bit. But you know, speaking of kind of getting drawn into drawn into something a bit like you you actually faced a, a bit of um a bit of a challenge in in reporting this story about bernie too right yeah absolutely and this was uh not the first time that we had faced a challenge um so i guess you know it was more i think more on the part of our photographer liz franz um we we had actually tried to do a day in the life in the summer, um, because we had kind of figured, oh, you know, Bernie's, we, you know, we thought that, that, uh, they would welcome the coverage and that it would be kind of an easier one to do. Um, and quickly realized that, that we were wrong about that. Um, so yeah, we, we tried to, you know, I thought be as, as open and honest about what we wanted as possible and had talked to multiple people in the campaign about, you know, wanting a full day of, um, photo access to really get those behind the scenes moments um, 
not podium moments, but, you know, moments of him doing if there was any downtime or anything like that, um, any sort of color that we could could get. Um, and it turned out that there was, you know, I don't know if it was a lack of communication on their part or if it was a mix of things, but um, we we did not get the access that we had asked for um, and had been asking for for months <laughs> uh, in advance. And we ended up really only getting about 20 minutes of um, more photo access than the, the average press um, that were there, which basically meant that we didn't have to be sort of confined behind the, the yellow rope at one of the, the events. Um, and then at other events, when, when Liz was trying to get shots, you know, there were uh, people that were on the advance team just sort of trying to keep control of the room that kept asking her and me to go back behind the, the press area, um, which we found very frustrating. Um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, in a story like this that we run on the front of the Thursday paper, the story doesn't just happen. You know, the reporter and the photographer don't just walk into event or an event or don't just start following Bernie Sanders at the start of the day and the story just happens. I mean, these are, you know, campaigns are, you know, kind of orchestrated like military military operations mm -hmm. when they're when they get really big. You have to deal with multiple levels of bureaucracy. You have to plan everything out. I mean, it's it's an involved process and it's an involved process that sometimes, you know, the entire point of it is to get like a single unguarded moment right and i mean it's it's a and that can just be a real challenge to do we found that with some of the other candidates we've done a bunch of these uh, day in life so far that the candidates that maybe aren't doing so well in the polls or don't have as much money they, they as a just sheer function they don't have the same level of staff and it's it's much less formal that we're given access we can we can pretty much go wherever and and the personality of the candidate um matters as well ella did a day in the life of lindsey graham and he was hanging around with john mccain and after i was talking to ella and editing her story she said that that john mccain and lindsey graham called her on her cell phone to say Ella, where are you? We're going to our next event. And, and so a very informal and, you know, by their very nature, they, they were okay with letting their guard down. You get to some of the bigger campaigns and we're having a hard, harder time scheduling them. And also what you find is all these extra people, they don't literally don't have enough to do. And so therefore you have someone there who then takes it upon themselves to get in your way. It, this was a this was enough of a challenge for me to to send an email to them and uh, lodge a complaint. Mm -hmm. They responded, they acknowledged, and uh, we we are all good now, Clay. Yeah. Well, and and the thing is, is that most campaigns, even the ones that have all of these layers of bureaucracy, they understand that newspapers and websites and media outlets want to do these kinds of stories and in a kind of a general sense they want them to happen it's just that when it comes down to the specifics right. of how you actually do it that's where the the challenges lie well yeah. I, get, I get it too i mean so we're not the only people that are asking to do a day in the life so they have to deal with multiple requests from national media from local media everyone wants to do a day in the life of mm -hmm. bernie sanders or candidate x or y and z so it, it's got to be trying for them 
on the other hand, you know, just a, a little basic communication can go a long way with absolutely. these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the sort of the biggest thing that the next day, because we did ours on, on Friday, and we were sort of available on Saturday too, but we decided that there were sort of more varied events on Friday, and so we would we would do that. Um, and then on Saturday, we we basically like because ABC and the Washington Post had had reported this. Bernie Sanders went trick or treating with his grandchildren on Saturday night in Lebanon after a, a day of campaigning there. The the other dynamic with these things is if everything goes well, right, and the story is very flattering, they get a few thousand page views at the Concord Monitor's website. They get our readership in our circulation area, and it's it's good press in a small venue, right? We're a small newspaper. On the to the contrary, if something really bad and embarrassing happens, then that story that we have has the potential to go viral, and so there is a lot of risk for them to do these things, and so we understand that, and we we get it. So we're not asking to to go absolutely everywhere, to listen to private phone calls. We're just saying, hey, look, let us but let's if they want, the curtain a little But bit. if they want us to be there for all of right. those things, it's not like we'd say no. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that, that is sort of what, that's the, the dream scenario. Right, come, come um, to, to every, every nook and cranny of, of what we're doing. Right. Um, Thus the iconic Bill Clinton shot. In the men's room, splashing water on his face after a, a long day of campaigning. You and I have talked, Clay. Mm-hmm. Is that photograph even possible in this day and age? A former former monitor photo editor Dan Habib shot that shot that picture. And yeah, I mean it's it's a good question. I mean I think the thing is there are probably some candidates that it would still be possible to do that photo with, and that there's many others that it would not be. It would um, not be possible for Hil- for that photo to be taken of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> well. Yeah. That is the challenge. Right. You know, wh- how cool would it be if we were able to duplicate that photo of Bill with Hillary? Granted, Jeff Forrester wouldn't be the photographer taking that picture. It would be <laughs> it would be Liz. But you're right. I don't think that's likely to happen. And that's that's a reality of how the New Hampshire primary has re- evolved. Well, and how media itself has evolved. I mean, at, in 1992, if you were wanting to see, like, the inside world of, of Bill Clinton running for president, you know, the monitor was probably one of the best places that local voters could get that. You know, these days, you know, the Hillary Clinton campaign can throw up a YouTube video that's shot by a staffer that's of her more intimate moments or whatever, but, you know, really highly selectively edited. And that's perhaps gets much, gets much the same effect, and they can direct it only to the people who like her. Right. In 92 as well, I'm pretty sure that was not a digital camera. He had to come back and develop his film. You had to look at it on a light <laughs> table, right? You had to examine right. it through your loop and enlarge the photo, and, and then you'd pick which photos were going to be used in the newspaper. Now the digital photography, those things can be on Twitter instantly. Right. So, I mean, I think there's just so much difference. There's so much, you know, difference between now and then. It's it's just hard to say. I mean, you might be able to get the photo, but would it have the same kind of impact? You know, would people be talking about it 23 years later? Right. You know, and and, and that's, the, that's the tough one. Because I sometimes feel like in terms of photos and stories, there are amazing photos being taken now, amazing stories being written now, but the volume of them is so high. There's so many of them 
but I worry that sometimes, you know, something doesn't get, get traction. It just kind of gets sucked into the maw of, of, of time and it, it just disappears. Absolutely. But anyway, with such with such happy thoughts, let's <laughs> move on to a bit uh, more campaigning that's that's happened in the in the state this week. So um, yesterday, I guess that would have been Wednesday. Um, Madeline Albright, former Secretary yes. of State, to and uh, a big supporter of, of Hillary Clinton, was in town. Yeah, she was speaking at uh, well while everybody else was at. Uh, the Donald Trump filing at the the state house. I think I actually was the only media person at <laughs> Madeline Albright event. I could be wrong about that, but um, but yeah. So she spoke to a pretty small. Um, I mean, it was a small venue. There were a lot of people there. Um, it was just the the Concord Women's Club. So it's this house on Pleasant Street, and uh, there were a ton of people, mostly women, but a few men as well, and a few um, uh, children packed into this sort of Victorian downstairs area, um, this Victorian house. And uh, Madeline Albright is 78 years old, but she has not slowed down at all. She was, it was really fun to see her. Um, So she was, you know, she was definitely stumping for Clinton. I think she and Clinton are pretty close personal friends. And Mm -hmm. um, obviously Madeline Albright was the first female secretary of state and Hillary Clinton also Secretary of State, so they have a very similar past. They also went to the same uh, college, Wellesley. Um, but it was just, it, besides talking about Hillary Clinton, she you know, was also just talking about the experience of being a woman um, in, in politics and just a woman t- sort of trying to rise professionally, especially in the age that she lived, so the, the 50s and 60s. Um, she recalled that at her um, commencement, you know, her, her graduation, the, the commencement speaker was um, Neil McElroy, who was then the Secretary of Defense. Um, and he was speaking at the Wellesley College graduation because his daughter was a student there. And he told all of the girls, you know, it is, it is your duty to go out and get married and have interesting sons. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Um, and, and Madeline Albright was saying, I did as I was told. I went out and got married three days later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so she got married, she had kids, but she also, uh, went and got her PhD and, um, started working, uh, for, for, uh, politicians and eventually rose up to being the first secretary of state. So it was very interesting to hear some of her personal stories and also pretty fascinating to hear, um, you know, I think she has a pretty tremendous level of expertise on foreign foreign policy and foreign affairs. So it was really interesting to hear her perspective on some things like um, the situation in Israel and Palestine and the Benghazi hearings. Um, it was a, a very, very interesting event. Well, and I, I actually recall that back in 2008, um, when Hillary Clinton was running for president the first time, Madeleine Albright also came by the monitor to give us a special bonus editorial board meeting when the the decision was on to when the editorial board was trying to decide between uh, Obama and Clinton for an endorsement mm-hmm. Madeleine Albright was a little extra firepower they they threw our way so she's 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 my, my point is she she's been on the campaign trail for for um, Hillary before absolutely yeah but um do you remember anything in particular from that? Um, I, I did not actually attend oh, no. <laughs> that meeting. I, I heard about it. Um, I, I mean, I attended our, our actual Hillary Clinton editorial board that we had with, with her back in, in 08. And um, 
you know, my, my belief, you know, back then and today about Hillary Clinton is still actually very much the same, which is that I think she is an incredibly smart person um, who is not necessarily terrifically warm, really, in the way that we think of warm presidential candidates. And, and yet I always feel, think that it's odd that her campaign tries to, you know, tries to push the reverse narrative, you know, tries to make her, you know, kind of warm and huggable and approachable and tries to kind of downplay the intellectual aspects, which, I mean, I think, frankly, and if you watch her debate and, and in front of a Benghazi hearing, I mean, that's, that's really one of her dominant personality traits. She's quick and, and smart. And I mean, you see a lot of things in editorial board, board meetings that, um, you know, you might not always get the most interesting, um, answers to your questions, but you can, you can understand a lot by a candidate just by watching them close up. Making a transition here though, from Madeleine Albright talking about kind of being a, a, a woman in a, you know, kind of the professional space and in politics. So John, you were saying we, we actually wrote our own story about kind of female representation in a new New Hampshire politics. Here we, we did, we did. Um, this was kind of a follow-up to the local elections that were held in New Hampshire on Tuesday. Um, in addition to the big headlines across the state that Concord Mayor Jim Boulay was reelected and Manchester Mayor Ted Gatsis was reelected by a narrow margin, by the way, and uh, a new mayor was elected, a new mayor who was the old mayor in Nashua, New Hampshire, Jim Donches, a former mayor, uh, beat Chris Williams down there, who was the head of the Chamber of Commerce. In addition to those races, we took a look at how many women were on the ballot in Concord and how well they, they fared in the election. So in the at-large, or for, for the city council, there were three women on the ballot, and for school board, there was one woman on the ballot, mm -hmm. and all four of them were elected. So 100% success rate for female candidates. And then on top of that, there was a woman, uh, Linda Kennison, who was a write-in uh, candidate who won in Ward 6, I believe. Yes. And so the, we had five women elected in Concord. So if you take the mayor's position, the city council, and the school board, our top elected officials, and you figure out how many women hold elected seats um, on those boards and, and the mayor's uh, position, we have about one-third, 32% uh, female representation in Concord. And that may, you know, women are half the population, 51% actually. So 33% may sound low, but comparatively speaking, that's quite high in New Hampshire. If you look at all of the, the local governance, local boards, uh, you've got about a 20% representation rate of women on, in elected positions. You know, that is interesting because then you juxtapose it to our highest elected officials. Two years ago, we were the state that had an all-female congressional delegation and a female mayor. I'm yeah, sorry, governor. Yeah. Um, so you have you have this at the top of the political spectrum. You could say that women dominate, but at the bottom, there it is still a, a men's a men's rule mentality. Where if you look at boards of selectmen and all that sort of stuff, so that's that that story was chock full of of numbers. 
pretty interesting read, I thought, and uh, reporter Susan Doucette did that. She has since left the monitor to greener pastures, but uh, it was a good story nonetheless. Excellent. Um, well, and I think a lot of it too, I mean, I, I remember us running some stories just talking about, you know, how, how varying, how various, you know, women became involved in, in the political scene. And, and I think there is, oftentimes I think women will say they are less interested in getting involved in something like city politics where it can be, it can sometimes be a little, little knockdown drag out and are more interested in something like, you know, serving on a PTA or, or something where it's a little more communal, everyone's working together um, and kind of coming up, you know, kind of these alternate routes to, to, to politics rather than what we what we think of as the as the of the traditional traditional ways. Do you have to say as a as the education reporter, I do think the Concord School Board is pretty equal for gender mm-hmm. diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, to your point as well, the legislature, the New Hampshire legislature, with all four hundred House members and uh, members of the Senate, they uh, they are. Concord mirrors the legislature. There's about 33% female representation in, in the legislature as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and Ella just talking about, you know, again, about, um, you know, kind of very various groups and their participation and representation in politics. Mm-hmm. You're kind of giving, to give people a little preview here, you're working on a story about uh, older people. Uh, in politics and what their kind of their interests are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Nick Reed and I are working on a couple of stories for the Sunday paper about um, the older voting block in New Hampshire and just what issues matter to older voters. Um, Nick is writing a story that focuses um, more on social security and um, which is a huge issue. Uh, And then I am working on sort of a more general issue story. But we uh, spent the last, the past couple of weeks talking to um, people, a lot of, I went to a lot of political events um, that, that lent themselves well, and certainly on uh, Bernie's Day on the Trail, his first event was at a senior activity center. So I got to talk to a couple of people there. Um, and it's been interesting. I think the, the answers have varied, and I know talking to Nick, um, I, I actually have found, and I'm sort of going to focus my story on this, um, a lot of people that I've talked to have talked um, about their concerns, you know, they're sort of saying, you know, things are kind of bad now. I'm really worried, especially with um, things like Social Security, you know, about my kids and my grandkids, that it's not going to be there when they when they need it. Um, and certainly things like I, I've heard um, a couple of people say that they're worried about affordable education for their for their especially like for their grandchildren. Um, and a couple of people say that global warming is a huge concern for them. So I think that the the range of issues um, are interesting. I talked to a few women yesterday um, that sort of had kind of an interesting take that I've heard specifically on women's rights from from a couple of other people in the past that um, women my age in their you know twenties and and younger and maybe even in thir- their thirties don't really fully appreciate um, or understand kind of the the all of what women in in their generation had to go through to get access to birth control and, um, you know, women's, women's health issues. Um, and just, obviously there's, you know, a lot of work to be done for pay equity in the workplace and everything, but that, um, you know, that we take these issues for granted much more than they do. 
Oh, it'll be something to look forward to for um, this weekend's paper. So, John, do you have any any outstanding um, issues to address I do. in our podcast I, this week? I, I, do. I I'm somehow not surprised. Could you could you tell that you do that you're you're ready to pounce? I um, I did want to revisit our uh, segment on the primary and and the candidates and access and all that because mm-hmm. I felt like we kind of ended on a bit of a, a sour note. I think it is worth saying that the primary is still alive and well. If you look at the candidate filings and the the act the the madhouse environment at the state house as these candidates come in and they file their paperwork. People are energized about politics. It is still a really cool thing. We are we are unique in New Hampshire, and if our biggest complaint is that we don't get the perfect amount of access that we, as the media, demand, that's a that's a pretty good problem to have. I mean, we are in a lucky position here in New Hampshire to be able to cover the political process as we do. So. Yeah, this is my pre-Thanksgiving. I want to give thanks. <laughs> <laughs> here, here. I I think that's spot on. So, John, thank you for coming in. Right. Ellen, thank you, Clay. Thank you. Thank you, Clay. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to hear more episodes of this podcast through iTunes or Stitcher. And follow along for all of the latest political news at politics.conqueredmonitor.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.